Bye. Short Bus Debate Club. It's a bus. Rolling. get on board. <laughs> Hello, I'm Darren Jolly. <laughs> it's time to get this short bus started. So let's roll and on with the show. Okay, so we are recording now. Um, I'll do a quick intro. This is Brian Courtney with Short Bus Debate Club. As always, Darren Jolly's across the table from me. Hi. And this week we have um a special guest or guests uh the green party and they're you guys are all co-chairs right okay so we've got um margaret craig and joe all from the green party on the show to talk about why a vote for a third party is not a wasted vote. So what? <laughs> so just generally, generally speaking, um, what what's the main idea behind the party's platform? Just very very generally. Well, I would say um, ecological justice. We can't do anything else until we get our climate catastrophe under control in some way. And the Green Party has prioritized that since its inception. That was fair. Yeah, I'll add a little on that too and expand. I mean, I've been a political kind of like follower since I was like five, six years old. My grandmother had me watch all the little debates and stuff growing up and growing up and becoming more aware of different issues and honestly i would never truly felt home with the democratic party and uh being in new jersey there's a lot of machine politics we all probably have that in our states in <laughs> in different ways and capacities so i've seen how people that actually stood for everyday working class citizens get you know locked out or boxed out and it took a while but i finally came aboard uh after uh, 2016 and uh, I've been here since, just organizing in my state, New Jersey, and obviously now nationally. I'm glad you're doing something in New Jersey. I was out there for a couple of months in, I don't know, 2003, and I didn't see an animal the entire time I was there. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> we got a few animals in my town. <laughs> Not a squirrel. <laughs> no, I was just messing around. But um, I'd like to add one one other e word. I could. Sure. Um, egalitarianism. I think we're the the party that gets closest to striving for egalitarianism, um, where we're looking at trying to connect. Um, as as uh, Margaret said, like. Um, ecologies together with um you know society and how bad you know like the, the status quo is right now it doesn't feel like with the status quo egalitarianism is possible but the green party is you know it's, it's international and there's counterparts of us that we can listen to in other countries and we um already have policies to try and put um, 
into like a better balanced or sustainable place or homeostasis. And I don't think you get that when you come across any other uh, party. And, and I've, I've been looking um, at politics also like Craig uh, since I was a kid. And in uh, 2000, I saw how there's just a lot of misinformation out there, but the Green Party values information and truth. So with, with that, I feel that we're the closest to egalitarianism. Well, I, I really like the Green Party because I think at least, you know, from what is said on the website and from what I've heard from other candidates is there's, there's an equality that seems to be built into the Green Party that other parties don't have. Um, it, it doesn't seem like it's built from the top down. Um, or, or even the bottom up, well, I guess it kind of is from the bottom up, but I mean, it, it's, it's, everybody is an equal. It's not based on this is my title. So you need to pay me the, the proper respect. Um, it's, you know, this is what we need to do. How can we get it done? Sort of thing. A am I right? I could broadly characterize everyone in the party, we're generally the kind of people who see a problem that needs to be fixed and then volunteer to fix it. That, that's we are, you know, as a, as a group. And so in this case, it happens to be climate justice and the other planks of our platform. But I think that's broadly true. And I think that if you're the kind of person who is done sitting on the sidelines and you want to make a difference, you can't do that in the corporate parties. You're just a cog, you're a donation person. In the third parties, your actual time, your presence is not just valuable, but you can be a minority person like myself and rise to what ostensibly is leadership in the party where people value your opinions and you get to shape policy and form a political party which is expressive of your views and values. You can't do that in the other parties. And so I think third parties in general are great for that reason, but the Green Party obviously is the best of them because we advocate for the things that are pressing upon us as a populace at the moment. Yeah, I, I think that that was, was a good answer. So <laughs> the next question is a little bit more complicated. And so, you know, if, if you need to take a breath, like you told me to do, <laughs> I'm okay with that. But so if you had had to and could resolve the following issues, which would you take care of first and which would be last? Um, social security, the environment, education, healthcare, foreign policy, and the U.S. economy. And first. yeah, that's fine. <laughs> So I think we got to look at this in different ways. I think you got to look at it as a political party and what the political party can educate on it and elevate. And then, like, magically, if we were elected to some sort of position of, uh, of office. So some of us have run for office. Uh, Margaret has run for office. I forget, Joey, if you've run for office. Do you have to? Myself. Yep. So we've all run for office for different reasons, and some people 
love to focus on major issues and elevate those issues through that. And then local office too. But also if I was magically the president and using executive power, what we can do. But uh, I would say personally, the way this is going to be healthcare. Uh, I'm totally for improved Medicare for all. If I was president, I would do everything I can day one, sign any executive order, give me a pen, I'll do whatever I need to because uh, I've dealt with a lot of this on a personal level. My grandmother had uh, cancer and emphysema. My mom is dealing with cancer again now. We actually just picked her up. Uh, she had a lobectomy uh, for her lung and, uh, you know, knock on wood, she's home now resting. So that would be number one as my priority. I, I hate to say I would – I hate to rank these, but uh, I think more – Awareness of education and foreign policy. Foreign policy is very important, but obviously, our goal would probably be to limit some of these bases, redistribute some of the funding, prioritize that back here for a lot of the issues that we have to deal with here. It's not that uh, I hate to rank them like that, but that's kind of how I would kind of approach it. No, that's fair, and and I know I hate to always talk about the hot button issues that everybody else is, is talking about. But I mean, me personally, the environment is incredibly important. I mean, <laughs> if we don't do something soon, we're all going to die. I mean, the planet will still be here, but there won't be anybody on it. Um, no, not that at all. I think if I if I was not just the Green Party itself, right, but if I somehow as the president could exercise executive authority, I think one of the things you can do really, really directly is through executive authority ban further fossil fuel extraction permits, restrict ones that are already in place and cancel ones that haven't been started yet. Those are direct steps. You can take them right now, in day one, and stop what's going on. We can put a halt to further exploitation of our natural resources via timber mining and coal mining. Those are not ways to address our energy shortfalls. We really have to be serious about this. And I think that, you know, obviously you can't, it's not a dictatorship. You can't decide everything that happens in the country, even as president. So your executive power is limited. But in those spaces, you must use it and you must use it for the will and the benefit of the people. That's who has put you there. We all know the game now is corporate money gets people elected, right? The last election, uh, one, one of the losers spent a billion dollars, a billion dollars and lost. So, you know, this is, it's hard to see how we the people are ever going to be represented unless we can get behind a grassroots movement that represents all of us. And remember, this is the funny thing here. Only about 40% of the populace actually vote. So if we just split it up, that's 20% for the Republicans and 20% for the Dems. If the rest of the people who don't vote one time in their lives voted this election cycle, they would change the American electoral political landscape for the rest of history. And we I know. Can save our Sadly, our highest uh, election was, I think, the last, it was the Trump election. And 68 0.8% showed up to the polls, um, which I don't know if that was because they really wanted Biden or they were scared of Trump or a combination of the two, but whatever. Yeah, you're you're right. We need to get more people out there to vote, which hopefully this kind of dialogue will, will do something to that effect. Um, you want to kick in any thoughts on the 
last question, Darren. Well, the only thing that that I and I don't want to I don't want to be the the party pooper, but like like say for instance like a foreign policy question like the U.S. and the military industrial complex, right? We I, I hate to admit that that I like so I was listening to a, like snippets of the and I don't listen to Tucker Carlson very much but he did that interview with Orban a couple of days ago and uh, oddly enough Orban who is not uh, anybody that I really want to be taking my cues from either um, he said uh, Tucker kept asking him about certain things with regards to Ukraine. Um, and uh, like how how it would end, like what and, he, and he, Orban kept bringing it back and saying, "What are you talking about? You guys have been driving the dialectic forward." Well, he didn't say he would never say dialectic, but you've been driving the the sort of like uh, the 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 thrust for war from the beginning, the middle, and the end. All that you'd have to do is stop providing like the capabilities to the Ukrainian people, and. It would it would be over tomorrow. It would be done, right? Um, so like, I hear all these things, and I want all these things, and obviously, like, we have to have a moment where where like you like you all have suggested, where we're more we're more activated, we're more like I, I mean, just the like on a personal level, you know, I vo I voted for Ralph Nader in two thousand. I voted for Ralph Nader in two thousand four. I should have voted for Jill Stein in twenty sixteen. I'm embarrassed that I didn't. Um, and of course, I, I voted for uh, um, Howie Hawkins in 2020. But having said that, like the people that those of us that want to change the world will be going up against, they're murderers. You know, they're killers. They, they not not only do they make money, like have they maintained a a welfare state in the United States through a military industrial complex for many, many, many generations now. So I guess my my question is how. How can we practically, I mean, of course, like you critical mass, like people are sort of engaged, but like I, you know, I mean, you know, all this stuff that happened in the 60s when they were putting down uh, the movements that were, you know, the, the, the FBI, the CIA, like, uh, and it's not like they went anywhere. And now they're there, you know, now you have private institutions that were that are doing the same thing the CIA and the FBI were doing back then. I just like I, I, I want to see a way where these policy positions can get from here to there, but I just get nervous when I look at those different uh, positions. Well, I think that's a, you know, a good concern to have, to be honest with you, because if let's say for the sake of discussion, staying within the realm of the, the framing of this question, which is one, you know, we magically win the presidency. <laughs> it's power. Okay. Well, uh, Executive authority only extends so far. Outside of that, it's Congress and the Senate who do this. And, you know, like, they are probably not going to be completely flipped into, like, green majority Congresses and Senates. Mm -hmm. So they would not probably work with us uh, as in the executive branch. And as a consequence, we wouldn't be able to do a lot of the things that we would do if we were one of the corporate parties and we had the backing of an entire, you know, majority in Congress, let's say. Um, so it, it does limit what you can do there. But I think there's real concrete policy actions that you can take from the Oval Office that really will curtail things. Most of these, um, I want to say, you know, free gifts of money, because it's essentially what they are to Ukraine, should 
definitely halt. Turned <laughs> out, and I don't want to like kind of bring up a different issue here too much, but our country is suffering from a massive infrastructure deficit. We haven't built new stuff in decades and decades. It's crumbling around us. We have whole states on fire and cities devastated. Flint still doesn't have clean drinking water. We can spend that money at home here, fixing the things here. We, the people who pay these taxes and live here and deserve our government to represent us and fix the problems here. Spending our money overseas in some cases is good because we're helping other causes and good things. But in the cases of prolonging war, that's a complete disaster. I think we all recognize that the general context of the war is itself awful and there's no good that can ever come of it and it doesn't matter who started what or anything the people who always suffer are the poor and the working class who can't flee they're caught there and they're just destroyed in it over and over again and we see it a lot the united states is culpable in this stuff and we have to stop it we have to end our culpability stop being complicit in these activities in other countries and really focus on you know, I don't, pardon my um, off-color language here a bit, but we really need to focus on our own shit here at home and really stop wasting our attention and time and resources on places that we've caused the problem in. Most of these places aren't asking us to fix it. They're just <laughs> asking us to leave and leave them alone. And never feel bad about, we I use a lot something. of off-color language, so. Can <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I go on to this question? Yeah, of course. If you don't mind. Please. Thank you. Um, so, I, I, getting a breath, like you said. So, I, I think that um, how you were uh, raising that in the 60s uh, or even the 50s, you know, they were doing the FBA, the CIA, putting in red scares. Um, and, and, I mean, that's only one generation from my, you know, self, because my parents were baby boomers, or baby boomers, um, and, and America in itself is, is less than 300 years old compared to Rome, we're really young, um, and fortunately, people who did work in the CIA, um, who, who, you know, found, you know, some sort of light afterwards, see, um, it, it needs to come out what happened, and people are talking about the, the, wrongness that's happened. You know, what we see what's happening with Julian Assange. And I happen to think that that's a different take. Um, but having someone who could, let's say, get elected into the White House, who didn't take any contributions from any corporations or special interests or lobbyists, and understand that we're in a fixed mass extinction on this planet, and the fossil fuels don't deserve any more subsidies, um, and, uh, you know, all of the, you're mongering against, um, socialism and, um, uh, you know, uh, you're mongering against, uh, I, I've been hearing a lot of people actually recently say that, uh, you know what, I won't even go into it. It's too weedy, but <laughs> ultimately I think that going in, my, personally, I think the number one issue would be the environment because we do value eco-socialism. Eco-socialism shows standards for humans to basically get back into balance with the planet um, and in 
in and of itself also harboring you know, good unionized jobs, education that provides people for those uh, jobs, health care for everybody involved in those unions. Um, it, it, the environment actually controls a lot of what would be going into um, our, our communities from the bottom up. And, and you know, frontline communities would, be, would actually be um, cared for as they should be. Um, we would not be focusing on, you know, it's funny because we know that people use socialism in such a derogatory term um, in this country. And then, of course, we have the military-industrial complex. We also have uh, huge policing um, that gets tons of money thrown at it. We have, you know, um, but, but also what I think isn't really talked about that much is and I call it the media industrial complex. It's just the re-election uh, industrial complex where you basically have the mainstream media that gets job security every time it's the holiday season because they have election cycle coming right up to it. And that's like, um, I forgot who, who just mentioned it, but the loser for the last election spent a billion dollars. And that all went to job security for the media industry. That's That shouldn't just... You know, go out the window, and, and Greens won't won't stand for that. We want reform in elections. We want uh, standards that basically make democracies healthier, that have more voices come and be heard, not just from the special interests and the corporations, but real people um, who who have family members who are who are sick and need help. Um, so, I, I just would. Wanted to add that uh, little piece over. I, I think that's... Piggyback on that one? Yeah. So obviously, if you elevate this ticket and we have this magical moment where we're finally going to get everybody on board to make this title shift, all we need is five to ten congressional candidates. All we need is one senator. And honestly, that's, that's the scale, that's scales tipping and towards what we need to do here. I think that's really just got to be imperative, and it's just obviously everybody's got to be on board and, and have the courage to realize that's all it's going to take. Over. So I want to pivot into question number three out of this um, because it kind of ties into – so things are interesting right now with, with the Green Party. I mean, uh, the next question is how do you, how do you put a, a – or how do you choose your candidates? But, like, so obviously, like – I listened to one of your meetings from a few weeks ago, um, and I was very impressed that in an hour and 10 minutes, and I love Cornell West, but I did not hear, I heard Cornell West's name once. And I think that that's important because you guys are, you, all, you individuals, you're all very, um, you're very process oriented when it comes to how you sort of go through your deliberations. At least it sounds, there's a lot of consensus in the way that you negotiate that space. But so like right now you have two major candidates for president. Uh, in the incoming, in the that have been that have announced at least at this point in time, so in, in Randy Toller, right, and uh, and Cornell West, is that there? That's that's all that's it. The major candidates, anyway. There's also uh, Jasmine German. What's it? What's the next? What was the other one? I'm sorry. Isn't that correct, Jasmine Sherman? Jasmine, Jasmine Sherman has filed uh, with the letter of intent okay. to seek the Green Party presidential nomination as well okay there is another person that just sent a letter in uh with intent as well 
I'm actually going to see if I can pull that up while we talk. So hang on a sec here. And there was, a, I was seeing it listed major candidates and minor candidates. What's the distinction? At least that was what Wikipedia said. I mean, I, I don't know that. I, I don't think that Wikipedia is necessarily the best representation of anything ever, but. Okay, so each state is different, and I don't know if that is that what that's relating to. So, mm -hmm. um, it was in a section. Yeah, I'm sorry, it was in the section on on like when you president people that are going for the 2024 presidential nomination. So at least in the state of Colorado, they consider the major um, parties, Democrat and Republican, and then they have minor parties. Which are green? They, they're talking about candidates. So. No, I, I understand that, but I think it goes along with what Craig said, which is it varies from state to state because each secretary of state is going to say whether or not they're major or minor. And I don't know if that's what he was talking about or not, but because I know in California it's a whole list of minors and then Vermont and so on. Sorry, I didn't mean to answer for you, Craig. I just. No worries. No, no. See, that, that's, that's why we're here. And that's why we have to have a conversation because there's a lot of people listening that are not aware. Mm -hmm. But yes, our, each state is going to recognize us a little differently. Um, I can attest in New Jersey, uh, basically we're going to petition, start petition filing in January. And basically it's, we put either Green Party of New Jersey on our petition and there's electors that will back that petition. And then we file. Now, sometimes if we have to file ahead of our convention before our nominee is determined, we'll leave it with the name to be filled later. And that's how some states handle it. Other states are going to have an actual primary process. And But, yeah, there's going to be state nominating conventions all throughout, uh, I guess, starting early next year. So it's quite a process then. It is. And it's very complicated because each state has different rules on how they do it and when they can do it. It's, it's, a, it's a complicated mess. But then, of course, that is outside of the states, the national has its own process. Right? Once the states have done their own things and they have their delegates assigned to who they're going to vote for, the, the national party holds a presidential nominating convention, just like the other parties do, and then our delegates cast their votes for the candidates that they, their state parties voted for, and that's how the national party then ends up with the actual POTUS candidate or nominee, if you will. Okay. We have some steps that are mostly bureaucratic to go through at the national level. They have to send like a letter of intent, they have to answer a questionnaire, they have to go through some minimal like uh, fundraising efforts and green support they have to gather a number of signatures to show that you know they have green support amongst green voters all across the country and that sort of thing to be honest with you it's it's a, a process which is designed to encourage candidates to run with us mm -hmm. we try to make it easy and open because we want people we're not a party of the elite right we're we're all volunteers and so we're not trying to make the entry barrier high to, to do this process you have to be serious and you have to have a serious plan, but you don't necessarily have to have a lot of money. You just need support. And so I think this is a, is a pretty good process we have. I recognize, though, that like for right now, right, the Democrats can say Joe Biden is our guy and the Republicans, 
maybe you're saying, oh, Trump is our guy. And we, the Greens, can't say anyone is our person yet because we haven't gotten to that phase of things. And we don't select our candidate and offer them up. Here's the, the you know, fiat choice. That's not how it works. And so I think for people online and trying to rally, it, they want to embrace, you know, Dr. West as our presumptive nominee. But that's premature and, and from a lot of reasons, but also like technically inaccurate. Uh, we don't have a presumptive nominee yet. We have not even a single convention has been held. So no one has any real sense of it. Um, that said, I think we could all agree that Dr. West is bringing a lot of visibility to the Green Party. Oh my goodness. Wow, yeah. That hasn't ever happened before. So when you when you talk about the, the committees and the delegation to finally choose the, the nominee, um, how, well, I guess so. You said Biden is the Democrat guy and, and Trump might be the Republican guy. Um, they submit their letter of intent and then all of these votes go through. Does, does a certain state have more juice in the process than another state? Like, does California have more power over who is going to, you know, be the, the presidential nominee compared to, say, North Dakota? Well, yes, I can try to answer that. So, um, just going to take it back just a hair. So, yeah, we have uh, committees that determine which, how many delegates are assigned to each uh, federally recognized Green Party. And uh, there's some states that don't have chapters, so they actually don't have representation yet. And that's also a goal, is to work to get established and have every state have a Green Party represent you know, representing them, and that's part of our job now, and that's also part of the attention behind all this. So it kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, I can speak as New Jersey because not only am I uh, a steering co-chair for National, I'm actually a co-chair of Green Party of New Jersey. So we had five delegates assigned in 2020, and New Jersey, in our bylaws, we're not only a registered state where you can actually register Green, kind of like a minor party status, but you can also pay dues and have representation because um, we have a lot of people that are supportive of the Green Party, but they don't want to affiliate with a political party because they have state jobs. And that ha this happens a lot on like local levels. You'll see a lot of people, they'll stay independent and not technically register with a political party because obviously that can impact their employment. So we have people that will then affiliate with New Jersey and pay their dues. And then they're afforded, obviously, voting rights to nominate and they come in and they'll vote. So we actually, in the middle of the pandemic in New Jersey, we held a virtual convention and we sent out virtual ballots that were verified by software and those were all tabulated and that their votes counted. And then basically when we took our total of votes, we carved out through proportional representation to our delegates. So back then, how we had earned uh, four, and Dario Hunter was the other candidate, earned one of those of those delegates' votes. Uh, so that's just basically how New Jersey ran. And every state's given different, whole different, you know, uh, formats for their conventions. And obviously, certain states like California will have a primary where they're actually going to be on a ballot, and that's. Great. Obviously, the goal would be to get to where we have a primary, but each state is so 
archaic and laws and stuff like that. Like New Jersey needs to have um, 40 legislative candidates. Uh, you have to run uh, in every district. You have to get 10% of the vote. You have to get a gubernatorial candidate 10% of the vote. And then magically you are recognized as an official party in New Jersey. And that barrier is so hard to get. So that's just my state's example. Wow, that is a, a tough uh, road to hoe, I guess. Um, I mean, because 10% for a gubernatorial candidate and what was there another like four things that you mentioned there? 40 legislative districts. So we have, and there's two assembly representatives. So you have to have at least one representative run and get 10% in every district. Wow, okay. Yeah, <laughs> they like to make it tough for you guys, don't they? And I don't mean just the green parties. I, I mean, like, third parties in general. You know, there's, there's also third parties. Like New York, Governor Cuomo um, pushed uh, real third parties off of the ballot um, 2020. However, he kept... Uh, working Families Party, which basically just rubber stamps Democrats, and also the current Conservative Party, which rubber stamps uh, Republicans, because uh, the way now to meet the requirement to get ballot access in New York State is you you have to get, I believe it's, um, well, if you're off ballot access, you have to collect 40,000 petition signatures, but the Democrats are going to challenge you, so you actually have to get 80,000 petition signatures. Um, and then they moved it from every four years of getting over, I think, 5% of the vote to now every two years on a statewide election, getting over 5% of the vote. Um, so, but, uh, and, and Joey, so all, all the working family parties and the conservative parties have to do is just put on, you know, whoever's running for the you know, the Republican or the Democratic line there. So it's not actually a third party. It's just, you know, sheep, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing party. Yeah, because they just endorse, like you said. Yeah. They use an opportunity to ballot. So. so this this next question is kind of along the same lines as, as question number three. Um, and obviously you guys do have a steering committee because you are that steering committee. Um, but my question is, how much do you actually steer these candidates? Um, how much do they have to follow the, the party line? You know, what can they say? What can't they say? Are they allowed to just kind of you know, do what they want once they get the nomination. And I know I'm, I didn't mean to make it sound like, you know, just willy nilly, but I'm just trying to get a better idea if, uh, well, if you guys are just nefarious puppet masters pulling <laughs> strings. No, I'm definitely not nefarious. Um, so no, we don't actually steer the candidate campaigns at all. In fact, we have a, a conflict of interest policy. You can't be on the steering committee and be volunteering and working in a campaign. Those are separate things. So what we steer instead is the national party and its 
um, moving through like adopting platform amendments and advocating our policies in the world at large. So we're removed from the candidates' campaigns altogether. Like they run their own thing. We obviously participate in a in a like a symbiotic manner, if you will, once they become our nominee, and we help and promote the campaign in that way. But as the steering committee. We're not in the campaigns. We're just the steering committee of the national party. And in fact, there are nine people total, uh, seven uh, steering co-chairs, then the treasurer and a secretary. So it's not just the three of us either, right? There's a, there's a group. Uh, so it's hard to have a nefarious cabal, I suppose, <laughs> manipulating screens. We, we have a lot of competing interests, even though we're all Greens, right? We all have the things we advocate for. But I think that it's a fair question to ask because... When you look at the other parties, they, they're not ashamed to come out and say things like, well, we can just choose to choose our candidate and not even have debates or not even feature other people who are running. And, and yet they will have the gall, the, the audacity to come online and like in public spaces and tell us they promote democracy and they're the only chance to save it. Like, well, I don't know what they think they're saving, but it sure as hell isn't democracy. I like, I'd like to follow up on that a little bit. So my pathway back to the party came after 2015 and Bernie Sanders' campaign, and I had been supportive of Ralph Nader in 2000. I've always kind of checked in with my green friends in New Jersey, but I kind of fell out of politics for a bit. But getting back in, I decided to get organized in New Jersey and then run for co-chair, but I kept my, my allegiances and my coalition work with other people, and there was other movements going on. And there's some people out there that still like to say there was some big issues and stuff like that with 2020. We ran a very fair process in 2020. Our goal now is to even be more fair. And as the liaison for the PCSC, which is our Presidential Campaign Support Committee, we were adopting some new changes to the rules to make it more fair and objective. And we want to have an open primary process and a campaign process if people want to file and run. Uh, some of the plans that they want to have forums that the PCSC wants to hold forums around the four pillars and have them in key areas and actually make that highlight like the party. So you'll have, you know, different places all over the country holding these forums and Dr. West and uh, Jasmine and whoever else is going to file it, Randy and then Bales who are actually you know, are filing will get to participate in those forums. And that's going to draw attention to the party and, hopefully more dialogue and more issues. And honestly, it's going to make whoever our nominee a better candidate. And I think that's what we should all strive for. And, uh, you know, obviously this party is growing. The movement's going to be there growing. We're just doing our job in this role, in this capacity, to be ready for when everybody comes aboard and supports us. We, we, the last thing we want to do is have people come aboard and, 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 the, and we don't have our foundation. So I think that's really what our goal is and, and we're striving for right now. In the process, yeah, future evolutionizing. Off of that. Yeah, go ahead, Joseph. Oh, thank you. Um, yes, having having forums uh, for candidates that are uh, focusing on very important issues that are being recorded um, does everything that Craig's uh, you know saying, but it also shows people who may not even be old enough to vote you know today or, you know, five years from now or 20 years from now, just because it's such an exciting time to be alive. We all hear about it. Um, but in the, in the information age, people can get educated that 
this is how uh, democracy can actually really work. And just like Margaret said that, you know, this party is just saying, well, this is our candidate. There's no, no debate. They're just going to go and be on the ballot without having any input from they, they, that party represents um, 150 million people. They didn't even have a debate. So are they really the party of democracy? This is what democracy looks like. And, and it's just good that we're showing it with actions instead of just words like other parties do. Do you guys ever get into like big fights on your virtual conferences or anything where like somebody's not green enough or too green or anything like that? Or do you guys kind of just try to do what is good for the people? Just a representative of the first kind of people, so I, I'm not fighting anybody. I'm a volunteer. It doesn't, it doesn't pay to fight. Right? You know, um, it doesn't, but that said, uh, so yeah, there's been, like, look, the, the fact of the matter is the, the National Party itself is really young. We're a political party that's only been around for roughly 23 years. We're still you know, a very baby party going through a lot of changes and figuring out who we are outside of our climate, you know, perspective. So over the last few years, there was a pretty big fight in the party uh, around inclusion of transgender people and LGBTQI plus rights in the party. And that led to some pretty acrimonious, you know, discussion, to be, to be honest with you. And the party came down on the right side of history in an overwhelming way. And like 93% of the, the voting delegates voted in favor of enshrining transgender rights and things into our platform. And, and that was awesome to do, but it was a, a painful process because we do, as Greens, value the consensus process. The thing is, we could take a vote just right off and then you know figure out what people like, but that's a contentious thing. It's not building together. A consensus-based process means I will sit down and try and find ways to move forward with people who are fundamentally opposed to, you know, things I believe are, are fundamental qualities. And if we can get past that, we can find the space here. It's better for everybody because we're all on board. We all agree, and now we're moving forward together again. It, voting is the last resort in the Green Party if we can't sort it out through consensus. Now, that said, that means that it can be rough and tumble in our discussions because we're all passionate people. We're volunteers. You don't take these jobs on if you're not a passionate person and, and really believe in this stuff. And that means that, you know, your, your uh, temper can get up, right? You can say some uncouth things to your colleagues, maybe be a little short-tempered when otherwise you might not be. We all understand it, right? We're, we're trying to save us. We're trying to save the planet. And it's not... A joke it's not a laughing matter and this stuff always heavy on us so you know it, it can feel frustrating um sometimes when we're not feeling like we're being heard by our colleagues so i think outside of that space though yeah we're all we're all here for the team um you know we're all trying to make this party better not just for us while we're here but for the people who come after us you know i'm building something to last and i know my colleagues are as well which means i can't be focused just on my goals and my perspectives here i want to build something, you know, that's going to be a vehicle for many, many people to find political expression in. And one more thing on that, 
I, I, I'll say again, with I've experienced and seen other movements that were really about opportunism, um, personal goals, things like that, by other groups and organizations. And I feel bad that there's good, honest people that were trying to do good work, and they thought that that was going to lead to something. And in the end, it wasn't. And they're being steered by a, a lone individual, and money not being reported properly, and money disappearing and ending up in their pocket. So that's why we've done the work for years on different levels to make sure that the Green Party stays you know, what it's supposed to be, a decentralized party that represents everybody. And it's not about one person's agenda. It's not about that. It's about the collective, and it's about us working towards that goal of getting our candidates elected for office. Because in the end, that's what a political party's here for, is to actually get elected for office and institute the changes that we're actually campaigning for and stand behind. So based on one of the things that you just said, it kind of rolls into the next question pretty well. Um, how so? I know you all aren't funded the same way that No Labels is, right? Like Joe, Joe Manchin and the, the, their little billionaire club and all that. How does the Green Party get most of its funding? Individual donors. That's it. We don't mm -hmm. take corporate money. We mm -hmm. don't take PAC money at all. Individual donors. And in fact, individual donors are capped. I think at like thirty-five hundred dollars a year to donate. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really restricted. And we're like obviously, if we took money from PAC and corporate interests, we'd have a lot more money. Mm -hmm. That's the sheer fact of it. But you know, we we don't want to be a party that's bought and sold. If if we were taking that money, there's no way we would have any credibility to talk about climate issues. You would know that we're being paid by the fossil fuel industry or whatever big company is paying to get us elected. It would just be such a sellout of our values that it. But that's that's what we're up against, right? So it's small pocket people just like me, right? A disabled person on a fixed income donating $5 a month. You can too, listener, um, to the Green Party and change, <laughs> you know, the future of our country. And I, and I want to make sure, like, that's really clear. When I say change the future of the country, it's not overnight, right? It's not like, let's say, for the sake of discussion, that it's, you know, um, Jane Smith from Green Party candidate who gets elected. That doesn't change things just then, right? That's not the, that doesn't just fix it. It's not magic. It's not like uh, overnight things. So this is a movement we're building. We're building towards a collective action of changing our future. We're just at the tip of it, the beginning. And I know it seems like, you know, things are moving fast and they are, but we're a new political party. Every single person who volunteers can make a difference. You can start a local where you are. If you, you just need five people, contact your state party person. If there's not an active party in your state, you need five people. Contact the national. They will help you. We can do this, but we can't do it alone. We need volunteers. And that just means people showing up with a clipboard if you're in a state that needs signatures, and almost all of them do, right? And it's not hard. It's just time-consuming and physical, which means that some people can't do it because they're working class folks, right? So they work double jobs and they have no time to go out and collect signatures and everything. So we rely on students, we rely on activists who take time and disabled folks and retirees, people who you know are feeling the brunt of all these same issues in a very different way than than some others. And you know, I just wanna I don't want to be doomy and gloomy about these things, but the Green Party represents an optimistic perspective. We're not sitting here saying, there's nothing we can do to solve these problems. Quite the opposite. Our platform is all about, let's solve the problems, and here's how. You can help us. 
And I was just going to add on that. I'm running again for town council in my town. I've been involved in my town for years, involved with my green team, environmental commission that way. And I think that's where you can affect change is on local. But there's some of us that are obviously are going to focus on local level. There's some of us who are going to go for congressional level. And there's some that are going to aspire for presidential level. And we all work cohesively together. We all support everybody. And you know, like Margaret said, Margaret just ran for office recently too. And balancing that with life and managing the party and doing everything, it, it gets it, it's a lot. We're all volunteers here. So we always appreciate and respect even independent media that elevates our campaigns and gets us out there. That's important, too. Um, and honestly, if we're elected because we're not taking money, you know, I, like I'm sitting here filling endorsement forms. I'm taking their endorsement, but I'm not taking their money if they're a PAC. But I'll take their their logo and their seal and their endorsement, them supporting me. But I won't take a dime from, from them because in the end, that's against everything. And if I'm elected, I'm going to be beholden to the community. I have friends in DSA, and, and I'm in New Jersey, New York area, and I'm like, so when's the last time AOC, Jamal Bowman have been to a DSA meeting? Do you guys get to caucus with them and talk to them and put your, your suggestions to their ear? They don't. They're, they might have paid their dues, but they're not beholden or responsible back to that organization, and they're not holding them accountable. So what is the point of it then? You know, if they're not actually accountable to the values of what they're trying to propel, us as Greens, we are accountable. Because literally, we're asking for your $5, your $10, whatever you can do to support us. If I get elected, I'm coming back. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be responsible to everybody in, in my town, in my state, and even my national party that's going to donate to my campaign. So you know, I, I'm, I'm here for everybody. Greg, can I just ask you real quick, since you brought up DSA, like, and, like, I know they're pretty active in New York as well. Um, so do you have, does the Green Party have, and, like, do they communicate at all? I mean, I'm not just talking about AOC and, like, the, the bigger names inside of it, but, uh, or, like, Socialist Alternative, or, I mean, like, Kashama Sawant, I mean, like, in Seattle, you know? I mean, do you, do you, do you have, like, uh, like, open, interactive with other like-minded party positions or, like, DSA or Socialist Alternative or anything like that? Definitely, there's definitely people that converse and have dual membership. There's some people in Socialist Party. There's some people that are DSA members as well. And, and there's a lot of core DSA groups that supported Left Unity in 2020. And I don't think everybody brings that up anymore. They forget Howie Hawkins ran a campaign to unify the left and literally go after Socialist Alternative, DSA, Socialist Party, get everybody to get on board and support his campaign. And I think that's the only way we're going to break through is if we finally have that courage to do so. So I support the individual DSA people and the Greens working with DSA because there's a huge sect that are ready to break off, but they still just don't have enough. You know, they just they are still just shy and it just gets shot down again. Like they were just recently had their convention. And I know that it was a very contentious issue again. And I implore if you can, if you have the ability to pay dues, be involved in both organizations, do what you can, you know, but I don't want anybody to, to pull themselves too thin or run themselves too ragged, you know, but it, the, the goal is, yes, left unity. And I know that there's some good people in DSA that either work with the Greens or support the Greens, will vote with Greens, and they're doing their best in that organization to try to break off and, and get a larger movement going. 
I can elaborate or let's say amplify a bit on that too. Um, there's no, from a national party perspective, we don't have like formal relationships with, with the other parties uh, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally do. Uh, I'm, so I'm friends with secretaries of DSA and CPUSA. I chat with them, you know, just in a social way, that sort of thing. And that's interesting. But I think that, you know, uh, as Craig mentioned, Howie Hawkins ran the first unified left campaign in 100 years here in 2020. And so that was a really amazing thing to see. It was really inspiring, too, because I think it's, again, an optimistic perspective that the Greens typically have about things. And so uh, that, that made me feel really optimistic about the future, to be honest, because there is, I guess, maybe the sort of perception that the left will the infighting of the left and we'll eat ourselves right so we become very ineffective because we can't coalesce together and i think that what is the thing which howie demonstrated was it's not that we can't coalesce together it's that we need the right kind of person who's going to bring together these disparate views so we can rally around that that kind of campaign that kind of platform that represents our values and interests too you know obviously I say obviously, and I, I, knowing is that people are people, it isn't perhaps as obvious, but obviously, everyone here wants to do something about climate change. We don't want it to continue, but we disagree on how to go about fixing things. So sometimes those become entrenched political things for nothing more than, well, fundraising efforts in cloud. I mean, that's just the truth of it. And in, instead of collaboration and seeing how we could work together, I think that's not unintentional as you kind of bringing this back to a point you were raising before, what do we do about like government agencies and private agencies that have been around since the sixties, which seek to destabilize leftist movements. We know it happens. We, we, there's historic evidence that it does. We know they're doing it today. So why aren't they doing it to us? I think reasonably we should expect that they are Mm -hmm. when you run into weird anomalies and things and parties and stuff that don't make any sense whatsoever it's probably a fair suspicion that the government is doing something there. I know it sounds a little paranoid and maybe conspiracy theory-ish or whatever, but it isn't. It's what they do. We know it. It's a truth and a fact. They do it in our country and other countries as well. So I think sometimes, you know, some of the infighting on the left is ginned up. It's not really real. And if we could get past the media hype that keeps that going, we can actually get down to real comradeship collaboration to work on changes that are going to save our country. It's kind of like the way that uh, they've been trying to run that dialogue between Bernie and uh, Professor West in the last week or so, you know, trying to get us to be focusing on wrong things and stuff. It's been been pretty deplorable to see what they've been doing against Dr. West's campaign. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, he's not the only Green candidate, so why aren't they doing the same stuff to the other Green candidates? Mm -hmm. Because they don't fear those those other candidates. Mm -hmm. They know Dr. West has the kind of national attention that's going to call their policies in the check and they can't just Russia, Russia, Russia. They can't do that. It's <laughs> not going to work. They can okay. go out Jill, they can brush away how, but they can't do that with Dr. West. Mm-hmm. I, I'm glad you brought that up actually, because that's another topic. You know, we still get the Nader scare. And people don't realize in Florida the ballot design there was seven other political party candidates in Florida alone that had more votes than the difference of total votes that cost that state to tilt to you know, the election that state. There was the 300,000 plus Democrats that voted for Bush. There was a faithless elector in, uh, I think, Washington or D.C. or something like that. Then you had that 
Gore couldn't carry his home state. Clinton couldn't carry his state for Gore. But no, it's Ralph Bader. He was the bad guy. They're still holding on carpet on that everywhere. And then poor Jill, you know, when people seem to forget Gary Johnson was the other candidate that actually had two to three times more votes. Way more votes. Way more votes. They they try to slam Jill for and not give any acknowledgement to Gary Johnson and the Libertarian campaign for president. So it just boggles my mind. And obviously, yes, we expect whoever the nominee, obviously Dr. West is in the crosshairs right now. They're going to try to do whatever they can to, to, to try to stymie any type of elevation of Green Party. Even when they talk to talk about him, they don't even refer him as a Green Party candidate. They say third party candidate. And then they'll put Green Party in little, little letters under his name. <laughs> but they they don't want to say Green Party because I don't know if everybody remembers this, but when they had that CNN town hall with Jill Stein, like that was the crazy, like millions upon millions of views and searches for the Green Party was happening live, and it was like the best thing ever because nobody knew what was going on with Jill and Ajamu in 2016 until CNN elevated them, and then basically that was it. They were going to have another town hall. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to add something that, um, going back to how this last week Bernie has been just basically trying to uh, silence any type of focus on um, on Cornell West, Dr. Cornell West. Um, and, you know, that's basically a sign of, of all the uh, money going into, um, you know, the, the machine, whether it's agricultural corporations or uh, weapons manufacturing, that money is going to one candidate that's not having a debate, and um, he, he's trying to basically silence any education on other views, and uh, it's, it's um, really, I'm sorry, just... No, I know it's frustrating, um, and I didn't mean to interrupt you if you were. Um, no, it's okay. I, I, I just, I, I feel your pain. I mean, I hate the fact that we can essentially buy a candidate if we have enough money, regardless of what corporation we work for, whether it's the military-industrial complex, the prison-industrial complex, what you talked about as far as the media. Um, you know, dot coms, hedge funds, pharmaceuticals. Yeah, <laughs> you go on and on and on and on. So I think there was one thing I wanted to just make that does distinct us, and that is that we do have standards. So I was bringing up agriculture for a reason, and it's because you know we have a value of of um, knowing what goes into our bodies, our families' bodies. Um, so we have a big uh. Um, oh, you know, with uh, Monsanto and other uh, synthetic chemical um, pr- producers that are putting um, fungicides, herbicides, pesticides onto everything that we ingest, and they don't want us to know what is going into our food um, and, and how that could be in, even affecting the environment um, from one crop that's, that's um, you know, non-organic to another crop that is organic. And, and I think our party, though, more so than any other party, will say that we do have a standard. So, like, eco-socialism also focuses on nutrition and health, and farming comes into play a lot in our party. 
And, you know, people don't realize, like, how big of a deal uh, where our food comes from is, but it's 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 the the life of of not just us but also the whole food chain of our planet so i think knowing that just just if we came in there and we just like that's that's it you're gonna know where your food comes from like we're, we're just gonna make uh it knowing that we support an amendment going forward for every um uh foreign substance that goes into your food it's going to be known to you they will at least see that this is getting pushed and why hasn't anybody else said anything about it? You know, things have to, things have to move and then they have to turn and no other party, even third parties are going to move to try and make leaders as, as valuable as, as what ours are. And that's just really something that I think a lot of people feel, but aren't aware of. With, I mean, I can go on like with, uh, with firearms, um, we, we want to make sure that there's, there's control. We, we want to make sure that you know, families aren't worrying about their kids going into school. Um, this, this is just all on the back burners of everywhere else. And you know, we're, we're all alive right now tonight, all the listeners, and the moon is going, you know, it's up, um, it's up above us. And we, we want to know that tomorrow it's going to be better than where it is today. So we keep um, our, our fingers on the pulse to see where we have the right policy because we have 10 key values and we don't away from them. Um, it's, it's a good discipline and it's, it's just about valuing uh, life. So, you know, you, you kind of led into question number six. Um, and, and again, I don't know if you guys all want to jump in one at a time or if maybe just one of you answers or, or how you want to do that because it could be kind of a complicated question. I don't know how I always get to ask the complicated ones. Um, so what are your short-term, mid-term, and long-term goals for the Green Party? And then, you know, maybe give me an idea how you plan to achieve them. Well, I have thoughts on that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have, the, the National Party itself has a strategic plan that was uh, voted on by the party. Uh, it was created over the course of a year, gathering data from every state party and all the, the members and stuff. So it's a really comprehensive plan. And I and I know it might be trite to say, but I want to say something like uh, um, our short, medium, and long-term goals are to do the things that we said we would do in that strategic plan. <laughs> so uh, grow the membership base, right? Like grow sustaining donors to the party, uh, run more candidates at the state local uh, level for like Congress, you know, or state Congress and governor, mayoral levels, that sort of things, and develop uh, potential long-term candidates for federal level office, uh, Congress and Senate, and perhaps uh, presidencies. So that's that's in general, in the nutshell, the plan. How we get there, like that's always. Like basically, I want to say there's all kinds of ways, blah, blah, blah. And that's all true. But what it all comes down to is volunteers. 
We get there because people decide they want to get off their couch and help. They want to come to meetings. They want to show up and they want to do things. That's how we get what we want. We're not going to get it by sitting and wishing. We're going to have to get up and work for it. Um, many hands make light work of a heavy thing, right? So the more people who help, the easier it is for all of us and the faster we get where we want to go. I'll add a little more on that. And there are some states that we need to have state parties. We need to reaffiliate certain states and we need volunteers for that. Just for uh, our listeners, can you elaborate on that a little bit and tell me maybe what states you're missing? Georgia, Alaska. Uh, those are the main ones that I recall. Uh, Vermont, I believe Vermont is Vermont. going on now. Yeah, Arkansas. Arkansas. Okay. Okay. That's, I mean, that gives us a better idea because now maybe if there's, you know, one of our listeners in that state and they are kind of, you know, saying, hey, these Green Party people, they might not be, you know, too far off base. Let me, uh, let me give them a call or, you know, shoot an email. So Arkansas, Alaska, the Dakotas, um, Vermont. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good list. <laughs> that surprises me about Vermont. I would have thought Vermont would have. That's weird. Well, you get all the people going over to Bernie. That's the problem. That's why we lost Vermont years ago. Yeah, he, but yeah, so so it got. Remember, it goes hand in hand because we're working for ballot access as well, and we also want these states to have representation. So uh, one of the other goals was, uh, you know, I want to have a strong New Jersey Green Party and. You know, I want to have a strong national party. So obviously we're also caucuses too, and I, I want to have a strong indigenous caucus. We've been working on that goal, and then the pandemic happened, and we kind of you know, lost our ability to meet in person, have our meetings in person, and our annual meetings. So now we really want to focus on that. Uh, I think that's one of the goals that I put forth. I definitely want to strive to work towards, and that will help for sure with overall building this party. That's one of my little nuggets I want to work on, projects I want to work on. But uh, we all do lots of different things. We all run for different seats in office, too. So there's always working on the local level, trying to establish a base there, candidates there, state level, and obviously getting ready for congressional level. In New Jersey, we just endorsed a U.S. Senate candidate for next year ahead of next year, which is the really good goal. So now we have our Senate candidate laid out. Now we're going to work in New Jersey to find 12 congressional candidates. And we already have three or four that have put their names in the hat already to run. So we're going to have our green wave, as we like to call it, in New Jersey. And we want to amplify that, not in New Jersey, but in every state. And I think that's what we're, we're ready for and we're gearing up for now. So yeah, we did that here in Seattle as well. There were five Greens who ran for Seattle City Council. I was one of them. One of the Greens made it through the primary and is now in the general. So we actually have a chance for the first time to get a green on Seattle City Council. And that's really um, important to us. We also have a really great congressional candidate here uh, who used, was a lifelong Democrat. He worked for multiple campaigns and, in fact, was recently on the Marianne Williamson campaign. But we've been talking to him over and over for years now. And he always like was sympathetic to our cause but felt he just couldn't be a green because, well, we just you know weren't going to win. We're like, well, you know what, though? Here's the thing. If you ran, we would win because these guys suck, and they do. Um, and all they do is approve fossil fuel contracts and all the rest. 
as it turns out, Seattle has or this part of my uh, my state, or King County, and all the rest. We've got a lot of defense contractors and big business here, so it's our our Congress people are bought and sold by them. Um, so it's hard to run in some of these places, right? But you can't like for where I live, you're not going to have a Democrat incumbent lose to a new Democratic challenger unless the DNC has decided to replace that Democratic person. So you're just stuck with them. No Republican is going to win here. So the only real challenge to these people come from real leftist policies. And I know, I don't know if uh, Craig and Joe, if y'all um, experienced this in, in your cities, but here over during the last POTUS election, most of, I live in um, the working class poor district of Seattle. I live in South Seattle. And almost all of it voted Republican because they believe that the Democratic Party is now a party of the wealthy and elite and no longer for them. And this is a disaster for, for me as a person just generally, but also for them. They don't really realize there is a party out there, the Green Party, that represents working class people and is a party they could vote for. So it's like, why don't people know about us? You would think that you would think that for a party that advocates for legal marijuana everywhere, you that more people would know about us, even if it were just that one thing, right? But they don't even know that. That's how effective the media is in shutting us out of the narrative and and not giving us any real time to talk to the American people. Because if we did, they know that the American people would like what we have to say. Our policy is, is what the American people want. Because we are the American people. We wrote it, not business interests. Well, it also shows a little bit about the complacency of the populace, I think. <laughs> and that could be that could be cynicism on my part. <laughs> Voter turnout is low. Like, you know, here in my city, we had 25% voter turnout during the summer. Always a low turnout for our summer races, but 25%. This is the city council that's going to be deciding the future of Seattle for the next 10 years. And most people, most people were apathetic. Yeah. It, disheartening, to be fair. One thing I always say on a local level, I always try to say the Green Party. I like, I had, I think I used something once. Like a, I got a little Play-Doh, and I'm like, it's the green Play-Doh. You can you can mold it into whatever you want. Um, I I just say, hey, look, there's some people that are all for campaigns and getting elected and working on campaigns. Great. There's some people that are great on policy and writing policy, and that's the stuff that we also need. We it would be great to have your state green parties offer counter legislation that should be elevated and and proposing bills and, and referendum and all this stuff and bringing that ahead. I, I think you need that too. I, I, I even put a, I'd say let's get artists. We need some artists that are willing to do donate maybe some of their talent towards a campaign or or towards a national party. Come up with some cool ideas just to get imagery out there. Like anything, you know, whatever your talent is, you're you're more than welcome to join. Lawyers, we have a lot of times where we're we're, we're um, so long story short, New Jersey, we got challenged a few years ago for our assembly candidate down. Um, in one of the counts. So in New Jersey, the way it works is the Democrats have a good stronghold on your higher up offices. The local stuff is mainly Republican. Once you get to your like uh, county level, it's mainly Democrat. And then your state levels is obviously mostly Democrat. So they'll can't, they'll try to challenge your petition. So we literally had 24 hours. We had to scramble to find a lawyer. We had to basically 
be on a Zoom call, take off our whole day from work, and literally go signature by signature with the with them to chat against the challenge. So we survived the challenge. Our candidate then appeared on the ballot. But yeah, I mean, like lawyers, anybody, any I'm telling you, anybody is always welcome and, and, and appreciative to, towards the movement, towards this party, because we're going to need everybody's talents and you know and time and and. We respect it and welcome it. So for the last, at least of the standardized questions, um, if you could change or tweak anything from the current political process uh, to make it better for voters, candidates, or party, the party, what, what would you, what would you tweak? Well, I think ranked choice voting and proportional representation, uh, Election reform um, have uh, publicly funded uh, campaigns. Um, make election day a uh, national holiday, um, and everyone can build off of that. So, I think mail-in voting is something we should implement all across the country. We do it here in Washington State. The military has done it since the 1880s. Obviously, it's fine. Uh, there's no worries with it whatsoever. And I think it really makes it easy. Here in Washington, we actually enacted a lot of great voter reform laws, and I wish we did this in other states. I get a mail, a ballot in the mail uh, two weeks before I get a brochure, which has all the candidates in it and their candidate statements. And I can just read that for myself, and then I have it all right in front of me, and I can make my vote, and it goes free back through ballot boxes, the normal mail, whatever it is. And I don't have to really go to a polling place and have to stand in line, which are all big burdens, not necessarily to somebody who has the time, but to people who work. They can't afford to go stand eight hours in a voting line, perhaps, potentially, right? You don't know how long it's going to be. And so how, if without mail-in voting, we have to have days off so people can vote. That's a thing that has to happen. We can have mail-in voting, though. It works just fine. And the whole the claims of fraud and stuff, these are all pretty much red herrings that are, never bear out any statistical impact on our elections. And I think we just need to sort of understand that there's a reason this archaic voting system is kept in place. And it's not because it's good. It's just because it keeps the powers and be in power. And I'll just add on top of that, in, in line with that same-day registration and uh, in 2020, I was a co-founding member of Voter Choice New Jersey, which is our state organization working for ranked choice voting. And they've been going town by town to, to get support for referendum. And they have Hoboken already, and Jersey City now is the next big target, and they're ready to, they're this close to voting on it to support ranked choice voting. And that honestly also eliminates some of this whole machine talk of like the ballot lines and you know, uh, and, and people saying they want to break up the ballot lines that exist. If you support RCV, it automatically does that. So it, it, it's more of an approachable you know, topic. But uh, even ballot drop-off boxes. You know, I, I was out there in the streets in 2020 fighting to get my town to have a drop-off box. And they were only going to put it in certain counties. And I'm like, no, it needs to be in, I'm sorry, towns in certain counties. I'm like, no, every town should have a drop-off box, especially if there's a, a, a worldwide pandemic going on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much to work on um, on any level. But, yeah, we totally are behind that. A lot of people realize the Greens are involved in all this other movement work. And 
we're there doing what we can, obviously, in certain roles that we can't always talk about, but we're there for you and, and doing The work. push for VPN, too. Let's, let's vote electronically from the house. I don't want to write a bunch of shit down. I want to click a couple of buttons on my phone. <laughs> One more thing I forgot. During the pandemic, New Jersey started electronic signature gathering for petitions. Nice. And it was in and it was in the pandemic and then it went away. Why did it have to go away? You can still verify the signatures. It was great. I well it was great. I had I blew up a sign and I carried it door to door with a barcode so that they can scan from their door safely and then they went right to the link to fill out the petition. Why can't every other state, especially states like Joey's, which New York now you have to collect forty thousand plus signatures? Now, in like a two-month window, it's crazy, you know, with the, the, the barriers. And, it, and again, it's the, it's the Democratic Party people that put the barriers up. The most undemocratic policies are by Democrats. It's so crazy. You guys can still write in, in in New York and New Jersey if you're not on the ballot, though, right? Like if you managed to somehow get the advertising out to say, hey, you can vote for us, but you've got to write it in. We're not technically on the ballot. You guys can still get voted in that way, right? You know, Margaret brought up an issue um, that, that actually did happen locally, where in um, 2020, uh, a lot of uh, voters who, who, you know, unbeknownst to them, in 2020, you know, we had the pandemic, we... Uh, third parties lost their ballot access, but people weren't, most of the people weren't paying attention and they um, went ahead and just didn't uh, have any idea that it was by design that the Democrats, um, Jay Jacobs, uh, the chairperson of the Democratic Party of New York and Governor Cuomo, um, through the uh, COVID budget, got all of the third, you know, genuine third parties off of the ballot line. But what ended up happening is that all the Democrats basically lost their re-election campaigns, anyways, because of a lot of misinformation campaigns coming out. Um, it, and so. Brian, what was your question again? I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I, I just wanted to make sure that it was still okay for someone to write someone in. So if you had a Green Party candidate oh, yes. for whatever... Charlie Hawkins was actually running for, for governor. Uh, no, no, he was running for, for, sorry, president. But in 2022, he ran again for governor, and he did a write-in campaign. Um, uh, so that, that's, that was where I was trying to go with that. Even though he tried to keep our ballot access in 2020 in New York State by getting the new Cuomo uh, requirements that, that are worse than getting a ballot line in Moscow, Russia, um, he still um, tried to run in 2020 and then in 2022 again for uh, governor to get our ballot line back. What, what happened in North Carolina in 22? Didn't wasn't there something where like the Democratic Party got the names of all these people that signed the petition for the Green Party? And they started calling them up, trying to get them yeah. to retract their name. I mean, that. Oh, more than that, they visited them at their home <laughs> with <laughs> the like trying to get them to sign a different thing, saying they were tricked into 
to sign in the Green Party thing. And, oh, yeah, I actually really didn't mean that. I mean this stuff. We sued them. Of course, they fought back and they lost. The judge ruled all of what they did uh, illegal and got our candidate, Matthew Ho, on the ballot. But, like, yeah, that was all videotaped. People had their phones out like, what, are you really trying to do this? I was pretty shocked to see it, to be honest with you. But, like, if you outside of the Green Party, we know that there's a lot of political chicanery that goes on in some of the counties in North Carolina, especially along the border with South Carolina. And that isn't probably news to people who are following that situation there. But, you know, um, that's not the first time or only time they've done it. Last, in fact, in 2020, um, they, they falsely filed a candidate in Montana as a Green. And then once they got that person, like, registered as a Green, that person quit you know, the Greens, and then became a Democrat to give them all their votes and everything, and took the party line from us there. But but the party line and stuff, like, if we're not on the ballot, we do run as independents, and you can obviously write in, you know, the people. But there's a reason why we're not on the ballot, and a lot of it is ballot access laws that kick us off that we were already on, right? But another one, and this is one of those kind of weird things, too, uh, and this is kind of a thing you see, I guess, a uh, leveled at a lot of greens like where are you doing the rest of the years why do you only run a POTUS candidate that can't win okay well here there, there's complicated technical reasons for it but here's the thing about that if you want uh your down ballot candidates for any race to be listed on your ballot as a person in your party most states require your POTUS candidate to be running on more than 35 state ballots as that candidate and if they aren't your candidates get listed as independent even if you already had ballot access so we have to run a POTUS candidate every four years so our down ballot candidates can be on the ballot as greens this is another shitty thing that they do to us here and it's weird and complicated because it's not explained and it leads to this exact same you know bogus allegation every year you only run once every four years we don't ever hear about you the rest of the time that is not the case we have to run a POTUS candidate even when we think we won't win but you know this goes back to another particular sort of perspective right we the workers the people we have to have our own candidates we have to stand them up against the corporate duopoly so they can articulate our points and our perspectives so the people can hear it it doesn't matter if we win or lose in that space we're trying to affect the, the zeitgeist, right? Shift the Overton window into a green climate perspective. And on a, on a personal level, I don't care if I win as long as the people in charge do the things that need to be done. I don't have to be the one to do it, right? So I think that's, uh, for a lot of Greens, that's where we are with that. We just want the thing fixed. And so I think that's a lot of the, the thing. And I, there's, there's a weird thing too here because this, this allegation, right, leads to another thing. Well, you don't run any other candidates. But then, if you're a candidate like I was, Craig and Joey have been, um, what will happen is when you're out on the campaign trail, they will then push back on you like, oh, you're going to be stealing the vote away like from someone who doesn't probably going to get it anyway, right? This kind of pushback on you where they think you don't run any time to begin with, but then when you do run, they vote, they shame you for doing it. Like, how dare you actually run a campaign at any other time? And I think that you know, there's this presumptive arrogance uh, amongst the Democrats that somehow or another our votes belong to them by default. And, and somehow the Green Party is stealing them away. That's not even remotely true. 
Greens would overwhelmingly not vote if there was not a green candidate to vote for. Why would we vote for things we don't want? That makes no sense to me. I've never understood it. I didn't grow up in the United States. I grew up in a different country that had a, a different process about doing democracy. And I was taught that you vote for what you want because that's how you get it. Um, the United States votes differently. It's vote against what you fear. And this is this is a polity of fear. That's what it always is, right? That's why, oh, no, we can't let Trump. It's the most important election. But they said the same thing about Obama and Biden on the other side, right? Like, it's just lousy, crappy fear-mongering that doesn't do anything for anybody. There will always be a boogie person, boogeyman, scary man, orange man, whatever man, maybe even Ivanka down there. <laughs> 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 yeah, many, 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 many worries, but that's a negative ghostwriter. Have it happen. But, uh, cool. you know, and we, we all support actions and everything with the campaigns, but I think the main thing is uh, just staying true to your convictions. A lot of a lot of cities are one party controlled. So those people always say, "Oh, our system is only okay." Great. If you're always seeking a Democrat elected, then why can't we be the alternate party? Right? You don't need the Republicans. Who, who cares? It'll just be the Democrat and the Green. Then you know, just just change the mindset of people. And I think the only way is by staying committed to our values and running and trying to win and break through. And if not. Yeah, look, you get watered-down Green Party policies that the Democrats finally support for a half minute, like a Green New Deal watered down. <laughs> you know, it only takes, what, 15 years before they decide to water down our stuff and, and, and come out with some version of it. But, you know, we're going to be doing our job. We're going to keep running hard on our issues, and we're going to keep moving the Overton window. That was the whole point. <laughs> right. Um I, I want to be cognizant of your time. I know that we started 10 or 15 minutes late. I know that it's coming up on one o'clock in the morning, your time. Um, I, I had one more question. I know Darren has at least one more question. Um, you guys have time for maybe 10, 15 more minutes? I'm not in Seattle, so it's still pretty early for me. <laughs> You want to go first? You go first. So the Green New Deal, um, I, I don't want to, to beat up on you guys because for the most part, I, I love everything that was in there. Um, but it seems like a lot of the goals are maybe over ambitious, especially the zero carbon emissions by 2030. Um, you know, I mean, shit, by the time the next presidential election comes up, we're only a little over six years away. So that that seems really ambitious to me. Is where Where do you guys stand on that? And I guess, how is it that the greater forces in the Green Party are hoping to achieve the goals in the Green New Deal. I think that humanity is really relying on the Green New Deal to work because what other options do we have that will keep us from just perpetuating this utter catastrophe even worse? Um, you know, we get um, humans on the moon, in, is it eight years? 
And, um, you know, we've, we've achieved a lot of technological advancements. Um, and we, we can scale larger. I'm just going to say that we, we certainly can get to zero emissions by 2030, but it would take, um, would take a conscious, uh, government to, to get us there. And so I'm an optimist. Um, I'm a father. And why, why would I want to go into something that I'm afraid of when I know this would work and would help? No, I, I'm not saying that it won't help. What I'm trying to figure out is how we're going to accomplish it. Because I agree, if we get to zero emissions, it will help. But the fact is, if we move to electricity, electricity uses copper, which means that copper has to be mined. If we are building mass transit, that means that railroad ties have to be cut and steel has to be mined. Um, if you're using wind farms, I mean, those things are just a huge, huge burden on the environment, depending on where you put them. I'm not saying that there's no benefit, but what I'm getting at is that we've got to ask ourselves at what cost and can we get there by 2030? That's good. That's good. I, I, I appreciate this. And I actually did listen to the recent podcast that you had covered and some of the concerns about the materials and the impacts on wildlife and things like that. I think it does require a bold, ambitious, you need to have a presidential candidate that's going to use a lot of executive authority, but you also will need to have a Congress and Senate. We have to still lead by this policy and go to the extremes for it. How is it implemented? That obviously is led to be held. But yes, if we were magically able to elect and, and win and, and pull this off, it would be a mass mobilization like moving away from military. We've, we were able to create the bomb and, and literally, you know, it, it, and, and move military in a different way. There's got to be a way to do it the other way in terms of preserving mankind and humanity. And I think that sharing information with countries, sharing technology with countries, truly working on reducing, reusing, recycling minerals and components, making these renewables of some sort of recycled materials has to be implemented too, because the industry is corrupt. Obama, Biden, Podesta, who's in green energy, his family has a, his, they're entrenched in it. It's corrupt. So yes, it is also a fallacy of capitalism. So that's why, yes, the only way to truly implement it is by taking a bold step by electing a green to the presidency and to the Congress and to the Senate. And that's the only way you're going to get that step forward. But yeah, it's a bold step. And we're obviously, yeah, we're getting the time is running out. It's always the time is always running out. But eventually somebody's going to stand up and you're going to have the masses stand up and say, this is the time. And I think this is the time. I agree. Yeah. Um, to reframe the question or kind of contextualize it back into the scenario, like what if we won the presidency and we could just do whatever we wanted, right? Um, 
if that were the scenario and we could do that, uh, I think the appropriate plan would be to uh, use the National Defense Authorization Act and to nationalize fossil fuel industries, take them over, that they've proven that they are just a destructor to the planet. We cannot allow that to continue. We are in charge, not them. Uh, we need to really consider what it means to have these international bank banks financing all this fossil fuel extraction. We can apply sanctions to those banks and cut off that funding. We're not helpless in this fight at all at the executive level. What we lack is political will. Yeah, it seems ambitious to say in seven years we could get down to carbon neutral. And that might be the case because when we first said we need to be there by 2030, it was seven years ago. So that, you know, we've, we've squandered our time and now we're still up against that deadline, right? That's not changing that, that crossing the 1.5 C threshold of 2030. That's not going to move. In fact, it's getting closer. So we're, we're against the moving target, but we have to be serious about this. If we, if we thought that there was an existential threat to our national survival, then we would use every asset at our means, right? Everything to stop it. And that would mean nationalizing this industry and making them stop what they're doing. And you know, just to kind of swing back to this just a second ago uh, from uh, in the conversation about the whole foreign policy thing, we're well aware that the United States military is the largest polluter in the world, like as, a, as an entity. And we want to re reduce that. So how would you go about reducing pollution in the military and all the rest of this kind of stuff? There's a lot of good ideas about it, but I would offer this bold suggestion to you. Uh, we don't need the Marines. Get rid of the Marines, fold them into the Navy. We have the three armed, or now the four remaining armed service branches. We've never done an amphibious landing since Inchon, uh, except for that disaster out in uh, Ethiopia, which was obviously poorly planned and another demonstration of why they shouldn't be in service. And when we look at what happened in Iraq, the war crimes that were committed against the civilians happened when the Marines had taken over from the regular military units. This is all really well explained in threat reduction analysis and things because um, big armored tanks people don't want to fight against, so they are passively pacified. Whereas when that doesn't happen, there's all kinds of militant activity. Despite my, my abhorrence of war and my belief that we should never be in it, if it happens, we need to do everything we can to lessen civilian casualties and how it impacts them. And if we have to be serious about this stuff. It's not a joke. This isn't, I know money is serious stuff and billions and billions of dollars, right? But these are people's lives and you can't replace it. I can replace almost anything with money except a person. And I think that's what we need to prioritize. I don't care about these companies, you know, survival. Why should fossil fuel companies be getting subsidies when folks in Hawaii are getting $700? Are you kidding me? What an insult. I, 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 if, I were, if I were collectively Hawaii, I would send that money back with a big fuck you to the Biden administration. Like, what the hell? That's, that's just insulting on so many levels. It's it on, and where, where do you even go with that? But look, there's a lot we could do as Greens. There really is. And I know the 2030 uh, table is ambitious. It has to be. We're up against that kind of timeline, right? We squandered a bunch of time. So the, the, the best time to have done it was then. The next best time is now. And there's no time to wait. I agree with you. I, I just wanted to see if maybe from somewhere inside the party, if you had a better idea of how you were going to accomplish it. Because I, I read most of it. And I love what you guys said about the subsidies as far as farming and um, big timber and, and all of that stuff. Um, my only concern was the 
the zero emissions thing. But I, I agree with you. We are we are fucked anyway. But <laughs> well, just just as an outro, I, I just wanted to also. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, if you look at the $870 billion budget to the to the uh, Defense Department, yeah. they're, they're auditing and keeping track of just about every single bullet that's fired, every round, because um, it's got to be reported on. We're not even reporting on every single piece of garbage that goes out. Um, and and we, we could honestly transfer the energy that's going into what we're investing – energy or, or money, you know, it's kind of the same, um, into the defense department and actually put it into defending the environment. We could actually put it into um, putting it. Uh, we, we do need to do a better job at recycling uh, photovoltaic uh, panels. And without the enough, without enough energy invested into that research, um, it's, it's not going to have to pass it on. And, and what we're seeing today is not happening fast enough. And I'll, I'll just kind of go, this is an analogy, but 2016, we could have had a, a president who was a medical practitioner during COVID. And a lot of people didn't look at Jill Stein um, as, as serious. But then once COVID happened, the, the president that we had certainly didn't look very serious and neither did the person who was runner up and just again telling you how, how gravely important it is that we need a serious investment into a process that's going to get us to zero emissions as fast as we possibly can. And it's not about the interest of the, the businesses. It's um, or the, the bottom line. It's, it's the bottom line of the earth. All right, so thanks, just thanks yeah, for, for yeah. letting me cut you off. Of course, no, 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 <laughs> we're good, absolutely. Um, just as an outro, when there was one thing that was said um, when uh, it was mentioned that uh, when they did the town hall with Jill Stein um, in 2016, and they put Green Party along the bottom, like MSNBC and CNN learned a from their perspective, a valuable lesson that they opened the floodgates to where a lot of people started looking at the Green Party. And since then, like like you like you, you you've also suggested, when they talk about Cornell West right now, they don't refer to him as a Green Party candidate. They refer to him as a third party candidate. Um, just as like an outro, like and Brian and I are both pretty sympathetic to this position. Just because they're going to keep saying that it's a throwaway vote, no matter what. Like. Just make make a really concrete statement about why it's not a throwaway vote, why people need to be looking at these other than just and not just. I mean, obviously, the, the, the clear reason in, in this instance is that our survival depends on like internalizing certain things that you're trying to put forward. But because uh, they're just going to keep saying it. So over and over and over again, it's a, it's a talking point over and over and over again. I mean, what what do people need to understand about? the Green Party or any, you know, other viable options in terms of political uh, parties. I guess I'll go first. <laughs> so why is it that the last person that was able to break through that ceiling was Ross Perot? Why can't 
everybody else that's supposed to be the more educated, informed, progressive, Democrat, leftist, socialists realize that the time is for left unity. And this is the this is the time we've said Jill Stein did a great job. Howie did a great job of what he could in the pandemic and, the, and every obstacle thrown at him in the middle of the pandemic. This is the time. The 2024 race is the time. And it's not just about the presidency. It's going to be a mass movement. Every state is going to need congressional Senate candidates, too, to ride that wave. We're going to need local and state candidates to ride that wave. And I think it's just enough agitation and frustration for people that sit at home and don't see anybody that they can they can uh, agree with that, that is, it appeals to them that now is the time to vote and come out you know we're also appealing to every all those millions of millions of voters that sit out elections and that's that's the thing we would love to have a general strike we support general strikes we support all these labor movements and labor actions going on this is the best time but you also need to support a party that's going to have your back through it, too, because all these changes that you get through, if you just elect the same watered down Democrats, you're not going to get any change. It's just incrementalism. So this is the time. Joey, would you like to go? I have I have thoughts, too. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I do. I was there. Um, OK, mine's not so long. Yeah, so, so I'll just quickly say that you see the earth, I mean, you see the, the world and um, look at the country that has the perfect government in it, and there isn't one. And we can just reasonably say, maybe capitalism isn't the best. Maybe there are aspects of it that are important, some that aren't. Maybe there's socialism. Maybe that's not the best, but maybe there's aspects of that standards that are important. Um, there's there's a lot of of, of educated uh, philosophy philosophers who who create a lot of work and you know, just go back to having uh, you know a bottom up system where we value a lot of voices and 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 it's not like there's so much voices we don't get anything done we have an incredible platform we're ready to go. And um, you're not going to have any change if you go with the other, uh, uh, you know, duopoly uh, parties. And I'm a green, so I'm here. Cheers. All right, Matt, Margaret, take it over. Knock him out. <laughs> so, I, like, so how there's a lot of ways that one could consider why um, maybe voting for a candidate you think isn't going to win would be a, a wasted vote. And I can't really address that because those are really individual things. But what I can tell you is why it isn't a wasted vote. So you should vote for candidates that represent what you want. If you want to have free health care, you have to vote for a candidate that is offering that to you. You won't get it if you don't vote for that person. I understand they might not win, but that's what I want. So I'm going to vote for it. And if enough of us vote for what we want, we'll win. Our candidate will win, and then we'll get what we want. If we vote for the lesser evil, we get less, and we get evil every time. That's all that happens. I'm tired of getting less, and I'm tired of getting evil. If any of their policies over the last 60 years were worked, remember, these are the same 
these people have all been in power for roughly this last 50 years or so. If any of their policies would have fixed the situation, they would have already fixed them by now. And they cannot and they will not. It's not because these are bad people. It's because their policies are bad. They cannot fix this problem. We need different policies and different people to do it. And, and again, like, so third party, sure. But I mean, anybody should run for office. It starts at the local level. People think that it's oh, just about the presidency or something. But let me assure you, your local school board has more impact on your day-to-day -day life than the congressman that you think is going to be impacting your day-to-day -day life. That's the truth. If you want to control the politics in your neighborhood and what's going on, run for office. If you want to change it, you'll get your name out there. You'll start moving up. You can be a mayor somewhere and change the policies in your town. That's how it works. If you vote for people who have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo, and we know they do, the DNC and RNC, the political like uh, wings, if you will, of the party, uh, do that, right? That's what they do. They maintain the party status. They may make sure that Congress people call uh, constituents and, and do fundraising all the time rather than work on policies. That's why they have to have so many staffers who read all the policies and tell them what they say. It's, it's a disaster. The way the whole system is set up is just wrong, and we're not going to change it if we vote for the same folks doing the same stuff. You know, and I get how the whole argument, well, if we vote for a green person, then our, our vote is just, like, you know, wasted or something like that. That isn't how it works. It's not like that. We're building a movement that has an end goal, not just this election, but it's in the future. We have to build step by step. That means crossing the 5% threshold, then the 18% threshold to get um, – on the ballot in every state automatically to get matching federal funds. You might not know this, but if you cross the 5% threshold automatically, you are automatically in the next cycle. Add it on all the ballots. We don't have to do any of the ballot access work. We have to do all of the time. I would honestly tell you that most of our fucking work in the party is about ballot access. But if we cross that threshold once, that stops that for the rest of our time as a party. It never undoes itself. We only have to cross it once. The reason it didn't happen with Ross Perot is because he ran as an independent. He wasn't in a party, so that party didn't get across. This is on purpose, right? This is done to us as a citizenry. This is done to us as a polity, and we need to be clear-minded about it. I want you to vote for the things you want. If you want free health care, vote for it. If you want to stop war overseas, vote for the candidate who's going to stop that. If you want to stop fracking, vote for the candidate who's going to stop that. There is no point in voting for somebody just because you are afraid. Fear, I'm going to pop paraphrase this, sorry, that I mean, you might have to edit this bit but fear is the mind killer and i think that too many people have let themselves just be destroyed in their mind they've lost their courage and they've lost their political will and if anything standing up and running candidates who are strong moral and ethical people shows people they can be brave again they have somebody they can rally behind they have a policy in a position that they believe in and they support it's not just half-assed, from-the-couch kind of stuff. It's real. It's a, it's a real grassroots movement supporting the people in the working class. And I think that when you can make that connection with people, make them feel it, right, for real, like it's not just some lip service bullshit, it'll motivate them. They get off the couch and they get inspired to be political activists. That happened for me. It happened for all of us in this room right now. Well, collectively. It took something reached us and we got motivated. We got off the couch and we started to work. And it will happen for everybody. We have to vote for the people we want. That's the long and the short of it. It's not wasted because you don't win. 
right? It's not a wasted game just because you don't win the game. You don't win every game. You, you still try hard, and you still try to win every single time. Well, we're not going to edit anything. We never edit anything, but we're certainly not going to edit out a reference to Dune. So. Fair. <laughs> 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 um, so the only editing process that is going to take place because of the technological issues that we had tonight is I've got to jump that um, recording from my phone to the PC. So once I get everything posted, I'll send you guys a link to the show so that you can listen to it, share it with your friends, whatever you want to do. Um, did you have any questions for us? I, thought it, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you giving us a chance to be on and talk about stuff. Likewise. Craig, Joey, Margaret, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. And, uh, we will um, definitely be in touch. You'll be getting a link probably tomorrow. All right. Have a good Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Dude. What? Oh, I should probably stop mine, too.